So you want me looking directly at directly at the camera? Okay. Okay. So my name's Delano, and uh, I have a new roommate, and uh, well, he's a vampire. Stinging werewolves. What's up, man? Oh, who are they? Oh, just a film crew. Minus Matt. Yeah, so I'm a vampire. I also happen to be a vegetarian, but no one around here really cares. So for the most part, it's actually pretty nice. Um, we have different schedules because, you know, vampires and uh, the whole daylight thing. Um, so normally he's working the graveyard shift and uh, <laughs> graveyard. Um, but, you know, he does have this one bad habit that just drives me crazy. There are people My trying to sleep in this house at 2 a.m. My music. I'm just trying to go to work. I'm trying to sleep. It's 2 a.m. Vampires drive me crazy. so mad. I mean, when I'm trying to sleep, he comes home from work and for an hour and a half puts Oprah on the surround system to unwind and I wake up to, you get a car and you get a car. Oh, and look under your seat, there's another car. I don't know how to deal with it. Hey, dude, work sucked the life out of me today. <laughs> that bad, huh? Yeah. You're up early before the sun. Yeah, I figured I'd catch a few Oprah reruns before I went to work today. You and that Oprah. Well, hey, I'm beat. I'll see you tomorrow, man. Alright, sleep good. Don't forget to set your alarm. So finally on one night, I decided to do something about it. So while he was sleeping, I went ahead and changed the times on all the clocks so he could, you know, sleep in. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. So good. So good. I got to hear. I feel nice. Matt. Home, are you up? you to come by. You scared me! Yeah, serves you right after what you did to me. I almost died! <laughs> I hate humans. Vampires. So, we're trying to figure out this whole roommate situation. Dealing with each other's differences, schedules, quirks, that sort of thing. All without killing each other. Aren't you already dead? That was cold. And heartless. Kind of like a vampire. <laughs> okay, Team Delano. Anybody want to go Team Delano? Okay, Twilight's coming out. How many of you want to be honest enough to admit you like Twilight? You're, you're into it. Okay, Team Jacob. Team Jacob. Is that, what's the other one? Brand, no. Edward. Team Edward. Real quick, Team Edward. 
Now, see, y'all are trying to be holy at church. Don't lie. We know y'all watch the movies. Don't try to act all holy. Anyway, uh, once again, thank you so much for being here. My name's Pastor Todd. Great, great, great to have you at church. Right now, I'm Team Delano, I think. Sorry, Matt. Team Delano right now. But it could change, though. You never know what's going to happen. So uh, welcome to a, the beginning of a brand new series called How to Hug a Vampire. We're not talking about real vampires because, well, vampires aren't real. I don't know if I just burst anybody's bubble. I didn't talk about Santa, so we should be okay. Uh, but vampires aren't real. We're not talking about real vampires. We're not talking about necessarily really weird, demonic, crazy, nutty, occultish stuff. We're talking about emotional vampires. We're talking about the people that suck the life out of you. Now, so real quick, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell them the name of the biggest life-sucking, blood-sucking vampire that you know. Just tell their name, address, phone number, social security number. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. If you just told somebody, it's probably an indicator you might be the vampire. There's something to think about. We all have people in our life. How many of you know that we, and don't, let's not raise our hands. This is one of those non-confessional times at church. How many know we got people that are coworkers? Drain the life out of us. We've got bosses. We've got just people that we bump into in life. We have family members. We're talking about parents, kids, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. We have people surrounding us that just for whatever reason suck the life out of us. And so because I can't talk about you personally and I can't talk about me personally because some of my family members listen to my sermons, I thought I'm going to read about other people. Here, I'm just going to I want to warm you up to the idea. Listen, these are just a, a few examples. This is a boyfriend vampire. Today, I was walking with my boyfriend when a guy walked up to me and told me that I look exactly like Taylor Swift. My boyfriend punched him in the face and told him that Taylor Swift was way more attractive. It's a boy, boyfriend vampire. Cashier vampire. You ever had one of those? Cashier vampire? Today, a cashier asked me if I would like to donate to breast cancer research. Since I have already made my donations for this month, I politely declined. The cashier snorted and said, well, maybe you'll feel differently if someone you love got cancer. I am a two-year survivor. Um, this is a crazy parent. I mean, parent vampires? Today, a parent was too busy texting to notice her child had run in front of a moving truck. She did, however, see me grab the child's backpack and yank him out of the traffic. She then screamed at me for manhandling her child and demanded I be fired. I am a part-time sub. You, you want to keep going? Last one. We'll do one more. I could go for days with this stuff. This is, this is good stuff. This is vampire fiancé. Fiancé. So, Delano, pay attention. Uh, today, my fiancé broke up with me via Facebook, dot, 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 while we were in the same apartment. There are some people out there that don't know social norms and social etiquette and social protocol and social boundaries. They just always seem, and you know what we're talking about? Guilt trippers. Yeah, people just lay into you with a guilt trip. Well, if you really loved me, uh-uh, don't, don't ever lean in with those words. Uh, manipulators, passive-aggressive bullies, just outright rude people. People who are abusers, people who are, yeah, we're, there, there's a wide spectrum of like, you know, little minor vampires and then absolutely lock them up in a prison. Major vampires. Can I get a, everybody with me so far? Okay, now that we're all on the same page. As a matter of fact, let me do this. I'm going to, 
I'm actually going to read a list. Uh, I've got a list of ideas that I want to throw your way, and I want you just to examine as I read them. These are a list of real life suckers. They approach life with a high sense of entitlement, but a low sense of gratitude. Mm-hmm. They make withdrawals, but, barely, but rarely make deposits in life. You know what I'm talking about? Those people that seem to never have their wallet at lunchtime. You know what I'm talking about? If you're listening, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, they demand their rights, but forsake their responsibilities. They don't follow through on commitments. Whatever they're dealing with is everyone else's crisis, too. They talk too much and listen so little. Does anybody have a friend? Don't raise your hand. Do I have a friend? I have a friend that will call me occasionally, and my wife knows exactly who it is because the conversation goes like this. Oh, hey, man, how you doing? I haven't heard from you in a while. What's going on? And then it's followed by me having 30 to 45 minutes of silence where I only listen You know, sometimes that's where caller ID is worth its weight in gold, isn't it? Just a thought. Anyway, people who excuse their own issues but always pick out the flaws in others. People who freak out at the slightest inconvenience. People who don't want to put in much effort but always want great results. People that are quick to brag about accomplishments but slow to acknowledge their deficiencies. People that are are there to complain about their situation but so many others would love to trade places with them. How many know, man, there's just some people that can absolutely suck the life out of you. One of the rules of vampires, I don't know if you know this or not, is that vampires cannot see themselves in the mirror. Are we familiar with this? I mean, there's just certain common things that we know about vampires. Of course, you know, wooden stakes, garlic, crosses, daylight. One of them is that they cannot see themselves in the mirror. And what I find to be so, so shockingly true about that statement is that you and I, sometimes when we look at this list, we maybe don't fit the bill for all of them, but every once in a while we come along two or three that we're like, ooh, I, I kind of do that a little bit, and I've done that before. And, and what dawned on me was is that as I listened to this list, I discovered that I was more like vampires than I would like to admit. Man, it's quiet up in this Methodist church right now. Y'all done got silent on me. We could hear a pin drop in a moment back there. Because again, the rule of vampires is this, is that they cannot see themselves in the mirror. And when I look at the people that suck the life out of me, you know what I think about when I think about my own life is that sometimes I suck too. I suck the life out of me sometimes. Sometimes I'm not the greatest friend. I had a moment just the other day where a friend called me up for advice and I kind of laid into him a little bit and I thought, gosh, Todd, why do you got to be like that? I suck too. I suck the life right out of him. And there are times when I'm not the best friend, or my wife would amen, but she loves me too much, but she would know that I'm not the best husband all the time, and I'm not the best dad all the time. I've had moments where, like, you know, literally I've berated my son, and I step back, and I think, why am I doing that to him? It's in no way helping, and I'm literally sucking the life out of my son. The point of today's message is this, is that whether we'd like to admit it or not, we are all suckers too. So everybody get your lollipop out and enjoy. Let's pray before we go any further. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me, and get your sucker. Father, we pray today that, God, your words would speak to us, that we would be challenged, that we would be transformed, that, God, we would walk out of this place more like you. 
God, help us to deal with the vampires in our life, but also, God, to deal with our own selves, Lord God. We pray you would help us today in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. So everybody say this. Everybody say, I suck. I say, you suck. And say, we all suck. We all suck the life out of somebody. Sometimes it includes our, I'm not trying to be crass, but it's easy to play on words here. Um, my point is this, is that we all have the, and some of you, Religious people are, 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 are upset with me right now, and I don't care. And some of you religious people are, are kicking back on me right now. I'm going to help you real quick here. If you, if you have your Bibles, you're going to follow me through an idea that's going to hopefully put us all in our place, in, which is a good place to be. When you look at the life of Paul, um, the Apostle Paul is who I'm referring to. When you look at what he did, what he accomplished at life, um, what all he wrote and said to churches, what, what strikes me so awesome about his life is that there's a progression to his life that I want to show you real quickly. Will you follow me through this idea? Now again, Apostle Paul, St. Paul. Let's go. So at the beginning of the Apostle Paul's ministry, you've got to remember, he gets radically saved I mean, Jesus kind of has this weird miracle moment with him on a, on a road. I mean, there's some craziness behind his, his conversion story. Most of you, our conversion story is fairly simple. We felt conviction in our heart. We said yes to Jesus. We recognized we were lost and wanted to be found. Can I get an amen? Paul had a radical con, uh, con, uh, conversion experience. And, and then he just immediately went into, like, helping other people, teaching other people, helping spread the message of Jesus. And at the beginning of his ministry, listen to his words here in 1 Corinthians 15. He defines himself. He goes, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I once persecuted the church of God. How many know that? That's some pretty good humility to look at his life and to look at all that he's done and his conversion story and to sit back and say, you know what? I, I got to be honest. I, I have to recognize that I'm really not on the level of of Peter, James, and John and all these other guys. I'm not, I'm not there. Now, here's what I'm thinking. He could have easily... Because you got to think like when they're sitting around at Starbucks, you know what I mean, after service is done, and they're just kicking it, and they're just hanging out, or maybe they're having a little Bible study. I'm assuming Paul could easily look over and say, hey, Peter, man, how's it going? You know, how many, how many books of the Bible have you written so far? <laughs> two. Forever this will be read. Now, I know i got some craziness. i got two books of the Bible. It's cool, man. That's cool. Pound that, pound that. And, and then he could look at John and be like, John, you know what? How many you got? I mean, surely you, you got a few books of the Bible. He says, man, you know, I got, I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's called the book of John. Um, I've got three more called 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And then I got this dope, crazy bestseller called the book of Revelation that will blow your mind. It's, it's really hot stuff. Um, Paul, how are you doing? You're working on. Ah, uh, man, I'm, look, I'm the least of all you guys. I got 13. I mean, these guys sitting around talking about their accomplishments, we're talking about the number of churches that the Apostle Paul planted, the number of things that he accomplished, the number of beatings that he received. There was one point where he was literally stoned. They thought he was dead, and he just woke up 12 hours later and walked it off. I mean, just incredibly miraculous thing. I mean, unbelievable. He go like, I got 13 books of the Bible, but shh, don't. Y'all are better than me. I'm the, I'm the least of all the apostles, I promise. This is what he says. So this is a progression. About five years later, he's writing to a church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 3, he says this. He changes it up. He changes his words. He goes, although I am less than the least. <laughs> That's a double less, isn't it? Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me that I might preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. How I many know oh, it's changed all of a sudden? Five years have gone by, and he went from being the least of the apostles to being what? The least of just 
All the believers, anybody who follows Jesus, I'm, at, I'm not even the least, I'm less than the least. Now, you ready? Let's keep going. So at the end of his life, he gets done towards the end of his life. He's talking to Timothy, his young Padawan, his young protege, and this is what he says to him. He says, Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now, how many know when somebody leads there, you should really, really hone into whatever he says next? Are you ready? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to which we all say, thank goodness, of whom I am the worst. I love this about this guy. Because this is the guy, this puts us all in our place, doesn't us? I mean, it just, none of us have written parts of the Bible. Uh, I don't think anybody here has established an apostolic ministry setting up hundreds of churches all over the countryside. We just haven't done that. And yet here's a guy who is, is hearing from God, who is following the Holy Spirit, who is suffering physical abuse on a regular basis, who eventually will have his head cleared from his shoulders for the name of Jesus. And his motto are things like this. I know, I'm, look, I'm just the least. And then five years later, well, actually, I'm not even that good. I'm less than any. And then by the, by the time I get, you know what he's saying is I suck too. I suck the life out of people. I, you, you don't believe me yet. I'm going to keep reading you. This is, this is how he defines it. Romans chapter 7. This is what he says. He goes, in, in seven chapter, chapter 7 verse 21, he says this. He goes, so I find this law at work in me. And when he's talking about law, he's not talking about the Old Testament or anything like that. He's saying that there's, there's an exchange that I've found to be incredibly true. It's like a law. It's like a principle. Are you ready? He goes, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I really do delight in God's law, but I also see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and it's making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And I love how he ends it too, because there's always, but thanks be to God <laughs> who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. What he's saying is this is I'm, I'm a vampire too. I have the ability to wreck my own life because how many of you have ever been there? You're like, I really, really want to do this. And then we fall short. Or we get, we get to something that we see in our life where like, I hate it. And we, we sin and we beat ourselves up about it and we feel guilty about it. We feel bad about it. And like, why do I keep doing that? I really, really want to do good. And he says, there's this law of sin and death that's working inside of me that makes me realize that I'm still jacked up inside. And although I do need to deal, because you got to remember what all Paul had to deal with. As an apostle, he was dealing with this one church that was getting drunk during communion. You know what I mean? He's, he's dealing with them. He's got, he's got this, this church that, I don't want to talk about it. it. It's bad. It's a really weird sexual sin. He's dealing with that. He's dealing with all kinds of weirdness in these churches. But at the same time, he recognizes that not only is something broken in them, and not only is something broken in you, but also I need, before I do anything else, I need to recognize that there's also something greatly broken in me. No matter how spiritual I think I am, no matter how good my church attendance is, no matter how often I pray and fast and hear the voice of God, there is still something broken in me, and it's only by the grace of God that I'm saved at all. Isn't this kind of what Jesus talks about? There's this, there's this moment in this great sermon where Jesus is talking about, basically, you know, we have a thing where we like to deal with other people's junk. Because dealing with their junk is way more fun than dealing with our own junk. And pointing out other people's issues is always easier than pointing out our own issues. This is, this is how Jesus put it. Let, let's read this. So in Matthew 
chapter 7, he goes this. This is familiar. You've all heard this before. Even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard this before. Why do you look at the speck, a sawdust, in your brother's eye? And yet you pay no attention to the fact that there's a plank in your own. So y'all thought my sermon was harsh. Y'all didn't know Jesus rolled like this too. So anyway, how can you say to your brother, hey, let me get that little bitty speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, in, 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 now here's where we're going to go. In the next few weeks, I'm going to give you tools. I'm going to give you ideas. I'm going to give you practical ways that you deal with the blood-sucking, life-sucking vampires of your life. So don't get it twisted. We are going there. But before we can do anything, we have to apply what Jesus said. Because here's what I know to be a fact, and here's what I know to be true. If I don't deal with the issues of my own heart first, there's, all the tools I give you will be worthless. All the practical things that I give you, you will misuse or do it wrongly. And it's because there's something not right in our heart. Think about what Jesus said. He said, you're dealing with a speck in someone else's eye, but you got a plank in your own. Here, here's the way that I'm interpreting this. I believe to a large degree that when we deal with other people's issues, we deal with surface issues. And really what's blocking us is not surface issues, it's hard issues. Issues that are un, we're unable to qualify and quantify and really put a measurement on. How many know pride is one of those things? Like, how do you know when you cross the line? How do you know, well, you're a level two, but he's a level eight? You know, how do you, how do you know? How do you really judge that? How do you put that on a barometer? And I think what Jesus is ultimately saying is this, is that there's some really deep-seated things in your heart that have to be dealt with. And, and here's what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, then, once you've dealt with that, then you can deal with the speck in another person's eye. Does this mean we let other people abuse us or be weird or be funky or be vampires? No. We'll deal with that later. But he says, before you can ever deal with that, you've got to deal with the plank that's in your own life. And ultimately what I'm getting at is this. Until we have a heart check until we really get into a place of humility in our own life and recognize that I am more like them than I'd like to admit, it is only then that we can create the right boundaries, judge appropriately, deal with difficult situations correctly once we have settled something in our heart. Without that, I'm going to give you all, you can read all the psychology books in the world. You can go to the self-help section at Barnes and & Noble and, and, and read yourself on triple fat lattes all night long. It will not help you if you don't check your heart first. Somebody say, all right. Here's, here's the way that I would describe that. Have you, you know, have you ever like listened to a sermon and then thought of somebody else? That's a lot of confessing going on out there. Here's what I've discovered is that when some people listen to sermons, they think about me. <laughs> Sometimes we're like, man, I need to get the CD. I'm going to give that to Aunt Sally. That, that girl's crazy. She needs to hear that. Or we're like, well, I need to give that to Becky, or I need to give that to Tom, or I need to give that to so-and-so. Here's the radical thought that you need to embrace, is that sometimes when people hear sermons, they think of you. It, because we all... If we will come to a place of humility in our heart, like the Apostle Paul did, and like Jesus is challenging us to do, we will have to come to a conclusion that we are more like them than we would have to admit. In essence, this is the way Paul says in the book of Romans. He goes, for we all fall short of the glory 
of God. I'm going to give you one more thought. So Jesus has asked this question. It's in Matthew 22. You can go read it on your own. This lawyer, really smart, sharp guy, comes up to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, he's trying to trap him, kind of. He says, what's the greatest command in all of Scripture? Can you just, can you boil this thing down? He, he goes, absolutely. That's, that's easy. You should read your Bible more. This is how it goes. You should just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But don't miss this second one who is, is likened unto it. He goes, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm going to help you out real quick here because I read this scripture for a long time, and I thought there's a number of different ways I could interpret this. The, the, the first and most basic way to interpret love your neighbor as yourself would be to love your neighbor the same way that you love you, right? Which I find to be completely impossible. If you thought that, we're on board. I don't think that's going to happen. I love me. That's my, probably my main issue. So, so I thought that can't, I don't think that can be it. But, but maybe, that's, that's one. The second thing I began to realize is, is love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe it's love your neighbor as much as you love, you know, maybe there's a thing where if I don't love myself enough, and only as much as I love myself can I love other people because a lot of us have insecurity issues and a lot of us have some self-hatred and some issues where we, well, I don't like this about me and I hate this about me. And we say all these negative things about us and because we have all these negative things about us, we can't be positive about other people, which I would say that's true. Can I get a, you're on board with me, okay. And then I began to read the scripture a little bit more deeply and I began to read that Jesus is actually, when he says these words, love the Lord your God with all your soul and strength, that's a quote. He didn't make that up. That sounds genius, but he didn't make it up. Actually, God made it up, his father, because it's in the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus is where he pulls this from. And the next scripture is pulled from the book of Leviticus too. It's the same exact thing, just a couple of chapters later. And here's, here's I'm going to read it for you, because we never think the book of Leviticus is nice, do we? You don't really think Leviticus has got to be mean, but it's not. It really is nice. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Listen to what God says here. He says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as what? This is this whole deal. Jesus, Jesus pulls from right here to here, and he quotes that, and he goes, this is the whole law. All the law hangs on these two ideas. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and here's what it is. Everybody say, as. I'm going to teach you something here. I know it's not, you know, school, but flow with me. I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word because I looked up this word, and it has a unique way of interpretation. Everybody say, kamoka. Yeah, it's like mocha with a ka on the front. Everybody say, kamoka. And you got to say it with a like you're Hebrew or so, kamoka. That might be too much. But anyway, this Hebrew word, kamoka, I, I, I figured out something. And it changes the translation of what he's saying and what Jesus is saying. This word kamoka actually means as or it can mean like. So let's reread that then. But love your neighbor who is like yourself. Do you see the difference now? What he's saying is this, is you need to realize that when you love other people, you are loving people who are just like you. Let's keep reading because I, I, I found this to be a truth because if you look it up and you go a few verses later, check this out. Leviticus chapter 19, you just go a few verses down later. This is what he says. He goes, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, don't mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as what? 
Yeah, love them like yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do you see the correlation now? He was saying, when, when people are foreigners in your land, you need to love them just like you, because you got to remember that you used to be a foreigner just like them. When you look at other people who are vampires, who are sinners, who are lost, who are jacked up, dysfunctional, tore up from the floor, you need to go back and remember that you need to love them because you used to be just like that. And in a lot of ways, we're still like that. And it is only from that vantage point that you truly are able to love other people, help other people, be patient with other people, have grace towards other people, set proper boundaries with other people, judge other things appropriately. It is only from that vantage point. It is only when I realize that I would be lost had Jesus not come in my life. How dare I treat them that way? How dare I be so quick to judge them forgetting that I used to be just like that? And in some ways, I'm still like that. It's quiet up in here today. Jesus um, has, has a concept. I'm going I'm to wrap this up short. But he, he has this concept when he's talking about prayer and forgiveness. And he says it like this. We're just going to add on top here. He goes, you know, when you read the Lord's Prayer... It was so funny. I'm a, um, I'm a basketball coach in a, in a Catholic youth league. And it was so funny because I'm with all these Catholic guys. And they're real big on the Lord's Prayer and just re- reciting it and quoting it all the time. How many grew up Catholic? Anybody? Good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you quote that a lot, don't you? Which is funny because he said don't quote things all the time as prayers. But anyway, this is a thought. And, but what was so funny is I'm around all these Catholic guys, and it's like we start saying the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not really good at reciting the Lord's Prayer unless I do it by myself because I say it in a rhythm that helps me memorize it so I can do it by myself. But when I do it into the group, I totally botch it and mess it up. As a matter of fact, I did this at a wedding one time. I was just, they wanted me to say the Lord's Prayer and lead the congregation to the Lord's Prayer at a wedding. I totally botched it. Thank God the congregation halfway knew it. But I'm with all these Catholic guys, and we start doing the Lord's Prayer. And man, by the time we get to um, our bread, uh, transgressors, junk, how does that go? Um, and we all, ja- preacher, a bunch of Catholic guys, all jacked up the Lord's Prayer. Just confessing, I'm sorry. There's this part about halfway through the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, and Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. I I thought I would share it in a slightly different way. They'll put this on the screen. It's kind of like this in the realm of what we're talking about. It's this. It's God, please love us even though we are sinners as we love other sinners who are just like ourselves. Are you flowing with me today? I, there, there's some definite people out there that you need to create. We're going to talk about emotional distance. We're talking about physical distance. We're talking about real boundaries. We're talking about uh, forgiveness. We're going to talk about some crucial, crucial issues over the next few weeks. Get back in here. Don't miss. But my point is this, is before we can do any of that, we first have to come to a place of humility in our heart and recognize a few things. Here's four things I want you to recognize. Number one is this, is that we are all made of dust. We are all made of dust. The Bible says that when God created mankind, that he created mankind from the dust of the earth and then breathed into him the breath of life. Here's the point. Listen to the scripture. This sums it up for me real quick here. Psalms 103, David says this. As a father has compassion on his children. This is so good. This is one of those scriptures that some of you that don't feel like you measure up and you don't always get it right and then you feel bad and you beat yourselves up. This is one of these scriptures you need to take to memory. Here it goes. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed 
he remembers that we are dust. Do you think God is really up in heaven with a magnifying glass, checking every little thing that you, like he's Santa Claus, checking his list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. Look, we're already naughty. He knows that. We know that. He doesn't have to check the list twice. It's just there. It's obvious. But when God does see us fall, stumble, how many know the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us? And not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he recognizes and pities us. He remembers how we are formed, that we are made of dust. And the same people that you are so quick to be bitter towards, angry towards, quick to get mad at, quick to judge and pass judgment, those people are made of dust just like you and me. Number two is this, is we are all sinners. We are all sinners. Number three is this, is we are all also people for whom Christ died. Somebody came to me recently and they explained to me this, this description. They said, I got to go meet with this family member and they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and they're just crazy and they're, they're manipulators and guilters and they're just mean and they just, they don't get nothing, on and on and on. She goes, how do I approach these people? And I said, here's what I do. This is just the thing that, that God put in my heart years ago is whenever I deal with difficult people, one of the things that I do is before I sit down and talk to them, I just rehearse in my mind, this is a person for whom Christ died. Let me even word it differently. This is a person who my heavenly father deemed so valuable that he was willing to sacrifice his son. Hmm. I should step back a minute then. If, it was, if, if, if that person was that valuable to my heavenly father, I might want to be just a little bit more patient. I might want to be a little bit more quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because they are a person for whom Christ died. And then lastly, I'll leave you with this, is that even though we're made of dust and sinners, we are all made in his image. We're all made in the image and likeness of God. And I need to remember that when I treat other people a certain way or I respond a certain way or I react a certain way to somebody's pettiness or somebody's manipulation or somebody's issues. And again, they need to be dealt with. I'm not saying we don't deal with issues. I'm not saying that just grace covers it all up and that's all we ever, no, 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 no. There are definitely some things that we do, but before we do anything, we need to have humility sitting on the seat of our heart. And it is only after that that we can properly begin to deal with the vampires in our life. I'm going to give you a scripture that we're going to use as the kind of the, I want to say the foundation for this series. I want you to write this down. If you're a Bible reader, if you have a quiet time, a daily devotion, anything like this, I want you to take this scripture and for the next just few weeks, I want this to be a primary part of your reading. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 18. I'm going to read it together and we're going to close. Are you ready? This is the scripture that I think sets a foundation for how we think, approach, respond, react, and deal with the difficult situations in our life. Romans chapter 12, verse number nine is this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. This is what we're dealing with today. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And listen to this last verse. Everybody say if. 
It says, if it is possible, meaning what? It's not always possible. If it is possible, and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's bow our heads today. So, Father, I pray today that, Lord God, before we begin to point the finger at other people, before we have a list of vampires that we brought to church saying, God, how do I deal with these people? God, help us to deal with ourselves. God, before we start looking at other people's specs and issues and problems and all the junk they're projecting on us or the world around them, God, let us first look at what might be going on in our heart. God, before we try to take a stake to the vampires in our life, God, let us, let us drive a stake into our own issues and our own flesh and our, our own carnal desires. God, I pray that we would walk out of this place, God, with just a little bit more humility, maybe a little bit more like the Apostle Paul. Maybe it should be that the closer we get to you, God, the more humble we become. How opposite sometimes that is in Christianity. It seems that sometimes we fall into the trap of, of thinking we're more spiritual or thinking we've climbed spiritual heights and mountains and it's somehow made us better than anybody else. And then I look at the Apostle Paul who, who maybe climbed as high as anybody else and yet he at the same time, the higher he climbed, the lower he got in his heart. The higher that he got, the more he esteemed the Lord. The higher he got, the lower he placed himself in terms of the way that he looked at and approached other people. Father, let us carry that same humility in our heart, Lord God. Let us become more like you, Jesus. And as far as it depends on us, if it is at all possible, God, let us help walk out of this place and live peaceably with the people in our lives, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name.